Good afternoon, Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Parashat Vaichi. We are here gathering live and online for your learning pleasure as we study the Parashat Shavua. Today's Shi'ur is sponsored by Mr. Yaakov Medina in memory of his father, Mr. Abraham Medina Zichron Livracha. May the words of Torah that we say this afternoon be bringing Aliyah to his Neshama. As an introduction to the class, I want to speak a little bit about the avera, the sin of embarrassing, of embarrassing a person, a friend. Few averot are as terrible as embarrassing another Jew. The Gemara tells us in Masechet Baba Metziah, Kol amalbin barabim, keilu sofech damim. Embarrassing your fellow man in public is comparable, tantamount, to murder. The Gemara adds that the reason is because we see that when a person is humiliated, the color leaves his face. The, the, red, the redness of his face turns white, resembling a person that has passed away. And there Abaye asked Ravdimi, what are people careful with in the land of Israel? And Ravdimi replied, They're cautious that they don't turn their fellow man's face white with shame. The Gemara then adds, Whoever enters Gehinam leaves Gehinam. <clears throat> That's a good thing. However, there are three exceptions. There are three individuals who will enter Gehinam and won't leave Gehinam. One, a person who commits adultery. Two, a person who embarrasses his fellow man. And three, a person who calls his fellow man by a derogatory nickname. Those individuals, when they enter Gainam, they won't leave Gainam. They say people were, the Midrash writes that people were humiliating David Amelech, accusing him of committing a grave, grave Avera, specifically the one with Bacheva. And David Amelech looked up to Akadosh Baruch Hu and said, Ribono shel Olam, you know that if they ripped my flesh right now, blood would not drip to the ground because all the blood from me was drawn out because of this humiliation. And they say to me, David, when someone commits adultery, which death penalty does he get? And I reply, the death penalty is hanek, strangulation. And he has a portion in Olam Abba, albeit he committed adultery. But those people, and he pointed out his critics, those people who embarrass their fellow man in public, they forfeit their portion in Olam Abba. As it's written in Perkei Avot, a person who causes his fellow man's face to turn white does not have a portion Olam Abba. The Gemara in that same um, section in Baba Metzia writes that it's better to be thrown into a fiery furnace than to embarrass others. And when we learn this, Parashat Vayeshev, <clears throat> the story of Tamar and Yehuda, when Tamar was sentenced by Bet Din to be burned because <clears throat> she became pregnant when she should have waited for Shelah, the son of Yehuda, she said, Please identify the owner of this seal, this cloth, and this staff. 
And Rashi says she didn't want to embarrass Yehuda and to say that she became pregnant from him. So she said that she's pregnant from the owner of these three items. If he will admit it, he'll admit it. That's fine. And if he doesn't admit it, they will burn me. But I will not embarrass him. And the Gemara learns from this episode that it's better to be thrown in a fiery furnace than to embarrass one's fellow in public. Tamar was carrying twins. One of them was Peretz. Peretz was the great-great-grandfather of David Melech, the great-great-grandfather of Mashiach. Yet she preferred to be thrown into the furnace and to embarrass Yehuda. Three souls stood to be murdered that day, her own soul and the souls of the twins in her womb, but she wouldn't embarrass her fellow man. Like we said above, the Gemara compares embarrassing others in public to murder. The Pnei Yoshua, one of the great commentators on the Gemara, explains that embarrassing a person is worse than murder because those who mortify others go to Gainam and never leave it, whereas murderers eventually get out of Gainam. Now, according to the way we think, according to rational logic, we would think that murder is far worse than this Avera of shaming someone. But Achachamim imply that embarrassing is much worse. Why is it so? Why is embarrassing your friend so much more severe and worse than murder and all other Averot? So beautiful perush by the Midrash Shemuel who writes, the reason is, the Pasuk writes, Ki devar Hashem baza gadol mize. It's a disgrace to Hashem's word. And there's no greater apikorus than this man. What does it mean? Why is there no greater disgrace to God than a person who shames his fellow? And he explains, because if we recognize that every Jew is created with Betzelem Elokim in Hashem's image, and that he is Chelek Elokam Imal, he is a part of Hashem, then we would have immense respect and fear and awe for every single Jew. And therefore, by humiliating others, we show that we don't believe that we are created in Hashem's image. It shows that we don't believe that we each have a neshama, a part of Hashem. And that's why it's davar Hashem baza, it's a disgrace to God's words. The Pnei Yoshua adds, he says, it's known that the neshamot of the reshaim aren't burned in Gehinam. And the reason is because the neshama comes from Hashem's throne. And that neshama is chelek elokami mal, it's a part of Hashem. So the fire of Gehinam cannot burn the neshama. But, one embar- but when one embarrasses his fellow man, he demonstrates that denial of the neshama and selam elokim. His punishment is midah keneged midah. His holiness isn't recognized. And his neshama is entirely consumed in Gehinam. People shame others when they consider themselves to be better than their fellow man. And we'll touch upon this at the end of the class. But what do we know? Our rabbis tell us in Gemara Masechet Pesachim, Why do you think that your blood is redder than your friends? We don't know how Hashem measure, measures people. Maybe your friend is better than you. And therefore, we have to find a way to honor, to honor everyone. So, with the introduction, I found a, a few stories just to shed some light into the severity of embarrassing one's friend. And we have to understand that not only should we not embarrass and shame others, 
but it's a great mitzvah to save our friends from shame. few stories here to shine light on that point. There was once a Sheva Brachot um, that was attended by two great tzaddikim. And it's customary when a chatan gets up to speak at the Sheva Brachot, often what ends up happening is people start to sing to interrupt him. So one of the rabbis, one of these two rabbis, the chatan got up to speak and the rabbi started chanting and singing and singing. And the chatan got up again to speak. He had a great question and again this rabbi started singing, singing, interrupting him. Finally, after two, three times, the, the second rabbi, who happened to be the Khatam Sofer, he looked at the rabbi and said, listen, let him, let him talk. The Khatam, he had a good question. Let him talk, let him talk. And uh, he goes, no, no, I'm singing, I'm singing. He goes, why don't you want to let him talk? And he says, I have a secret reason why I'm singing, and there's a secret reason why I'm interrupting the, the, the Khatam. So the Khatam Sofer says, you want to let me in on the secret? He says, it's a secret one cannot say. And the rabbi hinted to the Khatam Sofer that really the Khatam didn't know the answer to the question he posed and he had nothing to say. He only prepared the beginning of the speech and was relying on people to sing and interrupt him. And that's how he spared the Khatam from shame, by singing. The Chabiner Rav, one of the great, great Hasidic Rebbe's, once invited the Babava Rebbe to his daughter Sheva Brachot. And there... The, uh, the Bob of a Rebbe, as a guest, decided to send his son-in-law to go and buy drinks. Why? He's attending uh, Shebrachot. He wants to provide something for the meal. So uh, when the host saw the Bob of a Rebbe bring some drinks, he says, uh, what are you doing? I'm the host. Why do you need to buy drinks? I should be providing the drinks. So the Bob of a Rebbe answered him, you know, there's a Tosafot in the Gemara that writes that it's customary for the guest to bring drinks. Maybe that's why people often come with, uh, with booze when they're, when they're invited out, bottles of wine. And the, the host, the Chabina Rab, replied, there's no such Tosafot, it doesn't exist. Now the Baba Varebi heard this, he didn't, he didn't respond. Years later, the Chabina Rab was sitting and learning Gemara with some, uh, with some students, and he came across that Tosafot in Masechet Ketuvot that writes that guests often bring the drinks to their host's home to, to bring favor. And he interrupted his shiur, and he saw, goes, I can't believe this. Years ago, this is what happened. The Baba Varebi told me that there's a Tosafot there. And I told him that Tosafot doesn't exist. There's no such thing. And he heard me say that. He knew I was wrong, but he didn't embarrass me. He didn't want to embarrass me to tell me that it wasn't true. And he let it go and he remained, he remained quiet. Once, of Chaim Oizer Grodzinski, Zecher Tzadik Livracha, was once teaching students a very deep shiur, deep concept in the Gemara. And one of the students thought he was smart, I guess, and he said, you know, Rabbi, what you're saying doesn't make sense because, again, there's a Tosfot, there's a, there's a Tosfot in the Gemara that says differently. And uh, the Rabbi replied, Tosfo doesn't disagree with me. And he continued, sure. And the student rushed to the, to the bookshelf to go grab the Gemara. And again, the rabbi stopped him. He says, listen, don't look, don't look up the Tosfo. Don't take out the Gemara. I'm telling you, Tosfo doesn't disagree with what I'm saying. So the people were asking, why didn't the rabbi just allow him to open up? 
And the answer is because he understood that this boy, this Bahur, this student, misunderstood the Tosfot. And he wanted to protect this student from making a fool out of himself. So this where I told him, don't even open up the, the Gemara. Probably one of my favorite stories I've heard. I probably even said it here to you, listening of Rav Nachman Galinsky, Zecher Tzadik Livracha, of Bnei Brak. He got sick. And his, uh, his medical bill was very costly. So his friends decided to initiate a campaign to raise money for him. So where did they go? They came to America. They came to New York and explained to the Rosh Yeshiva in whatever yeshiva they were collecting that were raising funds for Rav Nachman Galinsky. And the Rosh Yeshiva says, I know Rabbi Galinsky. You don't need to worry. For Rav Nachman, I will raise all the money that you need. No problem. And he gathered the whole yeshiva and he told all the students, he goes, I want everybody here to know that I owe a debt of gratitude to Rav Galinsky everything I have. Everything that you receive from me is in his merit. And he explained to the students the story. He says, I was brought up in a very, very modern household in the United States. But my parents still thought it would be good for me to study Torah. And they sent me to uh, a yeshiva in Israel. And it wasn't easy for me. I wasn't a good student, to say the least. The yeshiva was on the verge of throwing me out. And I knew that if I got thrown out of the yeshiva, I'm going to go off the path of, of, of uh, religiosity and spirituality. I wouldn't keep the mitzvot. Once in class, I made a paper airplane. And I threw the paper airplane in the Bet Midrash. And while the Rosh Yeshiva was giving his, his weekly class to the whole yeshiva, I threw this airplane and the airplane hit the Rosh Yeshiva on the head. He was so upset. He was livid. And he said, whoever threw that airplane needs to leave the yeshiva immediately. No one moved. The Rosh Hashiva said again, whoever threw the airplane must leave the yeshiva immediately. He cannot come back. And when he repeated it a third time, one of the students got up and left the room. And it was Rab Nachman Galinsky. And everyone was shocked when they saw him. He was one of the finest bachurim in the yeshiva. Could it be that he was the one who threw the airplane? It didn't make sense. But he did it to calm down the Rosh Hashiva so that the Rosh Hashiva can continue teaching. And now the Rosh Hashiva in America, who's telling his students a story, he says, I was so overwhelmed by that act of kindness by Rav Nachman Galinsky, what he did for me. He accepted all the humiliation to help me. And I thought to myself, if people in this school are so nice I want to be with them. And that's when I began to study Torah earnestly. And now I've become a Rosh Hashiva. So I'm prepared to do whatever I can to help Rav Nachman Galinsky. The Chafetz Chaim says, if a person could know that he was about to be shamed, if he knew that in 20 minutes from now somebody was going to embarrass him, he would be advised to go to a mikveh because humiliation purifies a person so much. In fact, in Parashat Balak, we read about Bil'am. Bil'am sees a malach. The Bat'ayin explains, how can it be that Bil'am a rasha sees a malach? Who sees an angel? Such a rasha? And he explains, the Bat'ayin, that the reason he saw malach was because he suffered immense shame. That humiliation 
enabled him to reach the level that he could see um, a Malach. The Jewish nation, when they heard about the mitzvah or the avera of tzarat, the punishment of the skin disease, they became afraid. And Moshe told them, don't be afraid. Tzarat is for the goyim. Your portion is to eat, drink, and to be happy. Why doesn't the Jewish nation get tzarat? Don't they need tzarat at times to atone for their averot? Why don't they get it as a whole? Individually, people get people got tzarat, but why don't they get it as a whole like the other goyim? Rachachamim explained that one of the primary traits of the Jewish nation is bayshanim, that they are bashful. Non-Jews... They don't have this trait to the extent that the Jews have it. So Goyim need the afflictions to achieve atonement. But the Jewish nation, they feel their shame. They feel their humiliation so intensely. And their shame itself is sufficient for their atonement. And therefore they can eat, drink, and be happy because they they earn their atonement with the shame alone. And that's why such a person who gets humiliated, as, as horrible as it feels... You have to understand the atonement process that is going through that person right now. At this point, you're wondering, what does this have to do with Parashat Vayichai? What does it have to do with the Parashat Shabua? I just gave a 15-minute drasha on shame and humiliation. Now we can move to the parasha. We would assume that after Yaakov Avinu came to Mitzrayim and he settled there, I haven't seen his son in so many years. You would think that Yosef HaTzadik would visit him often. After all, Yosef was Yaakov's favorite son. After 20 years, 22 years of separation, they were finally together again. However, surprisingly, the Midrash tells us that Yosef was seldom with his father. And therefore, when Yaakov became sick and he fell ill, a messenger came to tell Yosef about it. Yosef wouldn't have known on his own. The, the Pasuk writes in this week's Perashah, It was told to Yosef, Behold, your father is sick. Yosef didn't know. You don't see your father so long. Aren't you visiting him every single day? Who told Yosef that his father was sick? Some say it was Bilha. She was the one who took care of Yaakov. Some say it was Yosef's wife, Asnat. Others say it was Binyamin. Rashi brings an opinion that it was Ephraim because Ephraim used to learn Torah with Yaakov. Yet, Yosef is still praised for his devotion in Kibbut Av, in respecting his father. But he didn't go to his father. He didn't visit his father. Often. How, how do you reconcile these differences? And the answer is, this actually teaches us about Yosef's righteousness. He didn't want to be alone with his father so that his father will not ask him, what did your brothers do to you? And when he hears that they sold him, his father would have to curse his sons. Yosef said, I know my father's an incredible tzaddik. Everything he decrees occurs. My father said that whoever took Laban's idol should die, which caused my own mother, Rachel, to die. If he curses my brothers, 
the world will be destroyed because the world was created for the Shevatim. So to prevent this from happening, to prevent the conversation from even starting, he didn't go to his father often. We can explain that Yosef was trying to protect his brothers from shame. He avoided being with his father alone so he wouldn't have to tell them what they did to him. In fact, Rabbeinu Bechayeh writes in this week's Perasha that the brothers indeed asked Yosef for Mechila, but the Pasuk does not state that Yosef actually forgave them. If you sin to your fellow man and you do Teshuvah, the sin isn't forgiven until the man forgives you. And although the Torah writes again in this week's Perashah, and Yosef spoke kindly to them, it doesn't state explicitly that Yosef forgave them. And therefore they died with their sins without forgiving Yosef, without Yosef forgiving them. And we know years later they were punished with the Asara Haruge Malchut, the ten scholars who were killed and tortured to death by the Roman government. In last week's Parashah, the Orachayim HaKadosh writes, he goes, why didn't Yosef inform his father that he was alive and well in Mitzrayim? And the Orachayim says, it makes sense when he was a slave, he couldn't contact his father. But after Yosef was a king, why didn't he write a letter at least to his father to alleviate Yaakov's distress? And the Gemara, like we quote Masechet Babakama, it's better to throw yourself in a fiery furnace than to embarrass your fellow man. Yosef didn't want to embarrass his brothers in front of Yitzchak, who was still alive, Yaakov, and the rest of the family. So he let his father remain in distress rather to embarrass his brothers. In last week's parasha, Velo yachol Yosef leitapek lekol anitzavim alav, vayikra hotziu kol ishmaalai. Yosef couldn't tolerate that people should be around when he wanted to reveal himself to his brothers. So he commanded that everyone in the room should leave. If you think about it, this is strange. Yosef let the guards leave the room. Yosef was alone with the brothers when he revealed himself. And he said, Ani Yosef. The Midrash writes that Yosef's life was in danger. His brothers could have killed him. So why did Yosef send out the soldiers? Let the guards be there. And again, Yosef said to himself, Better that they should kill me. Then I should be that I should embarrass my brothers before the Egyptians. Harav Chidav tells the following story that happened with the Orachaim Akadosh. Once the president of the community, the Rosha Kahal, once disrespectfully and disgraced and embarrassed one of the Tamidecha Chamim of the city. And the Orachaim spoke with that rabbi who was embarrassed, and he advised him, please, for the sake of peace, please forgive the president of the community. And the rabbi replied, you don't have to tell me to forgive him. I forgave him right away, he said. Because the Zohar says that the Averot of the Jewish nation weigh heavily on the Shekhinah and it causes the Shekhinah distress. And therefore, I wanted to save the Shekhinah pain. And I immediately forgave all those who sin against me. And the Orachim HaKadosh praised that rabbi immensely for this. And on this, the Harav Chida writes, when one forgives others, all of his sins are atoned. Because if you forgive others because you don't want the Shekhinah to have tsar, you don't want the Shekhinah to have pain, your sins will be forgiven as well. To relieve the Shekhinah from her tsar, which comes from your Averot. Last but not least, Yosef brought his children to his father, Yaakov, so he would bless them before he dies. 
and Yosef positioned Menashe, his oldest son, on Yaakov's right side. But Yaakov put his right hand on Ephraim's head, who was really to his left, and he put his left hand on Menashe's head. And the Torah writes, Sikel et Yadav, he switched his hands. And there Unkelus tells us, he acted wisely with his hands. What wisdom did Yaakov Avinu display with his hands? And the Noam Elimelech beautifully writes, the Torah is teaching us derech eretz, that we should honor our fellow man. Yaakov could have rearranged the children according to his preference. He could have put Ephraim on the right, Menashe on the left, but that would embarrass Menashe. Instead, he merely switched positions of his hands in order not to embarrass Menashe. So what should our outlook be based on everything we said today? Maybe we can say the following. Yaakov didn't rearrange the children. He let them be as Yosef set them. He only switched his hands. This teaches us, one, when there are different opinions, don't try hard to convince your fellow man to see things how you do. One idea. Let your man think the way he wants to and you change your hands. You do as you understand. But maybe the important lesson, the main lesson from this is as follows. When a person faces one another, when a person faces his friend face to face, one's right side faces his fellow man's left side. And his left side faces the fellow man's right side. What does this tell us? Rav Chaim writes that the right side facing your friend's left side implies that people's primary focus in life is on their friend's faults. I'm always looking to the right, but the right is my friend's left. That's how people are. Their right, which is the stronger side and alludes to a greater focus, is on the fellow man's left side, which are his problems and his weaknesses. And the left side facing your friend's right implies that people's primary focus is on their friend's weaknesses. You look at it, and even when you look at your friend's strength, and you look at your friend's right side, you look at it briefly, because it's really your left. It's not something you focus on. You don't pay close attention to it. You look at it with your left, with your weaker focus. The idea here is to be like Yaakov Avinu, who put his right hand to the right side, his left hand to the left side, because your primary focus should be on the qualities of your fellow man, and your weaker focus should be on the faults, on his, uh, your weaker focus should be on his faults and his weaknesses. And that's what Yaakov Avinu did. And through that, there is no question that we will not come to humiliate others. We will not come to shame our fellows because as severe as, this, as these Averot are, these are things that we need to stay far, far away of. And the trick is always look at the wonderful qualities that our friends possess. Never, never focus on the left side, which is the, weak, which is the weaknesses. Focus on all the good. All the things that a person can teach me, all the wonderful midot that our friends possess. Look at what Yosef did, not to embarrass his brothers. He stayed, he stayed far from his father, even when his father was in Egypt. This is why Yosef did not visit his father often. The, the important 
of maintaining good relationships, the importance of being a, have a positive countenance with your with your friends, with your brothers, with your family is so so crucial. Bezrat Hashem, with that, with our efforts to avoid humiliation, our efforts to avoid shame, and even when we are humiliated, to use it as an opportunity for kapara and atonement, will help us bring Mashiach Tzidkenu closer. Wishing everybody a Shabbat Shalom umevorach.